edition of the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Lauren Williams. She's a GB junior and Welsh athlete supported by Sports Powers. Uh, she's also a Platinum Young Ambassador for the Youth Sport Trust. And last year was a board member as part of a job with the YA with, the, with Sports Wales. So welcome on to the show, Lauren. Hello. Nice to, nice to talk to you all today. So before we delve into today's episode, Lauren, can you talk us through your journey, uh, obviously, to wanting to become an athlete and kind of progressing on to become a Young Ambassador? Oh, okay. Um, I've always been a sporty kid, so um, even primary school age, I wanted to have a go at everything, absolutely any sport that was on offer, I was jumping right in. I was quite competitive, and I always wanted to beat the boys, so um, on sports day, I'd always line up in the boys' race, not the girls' race, and uh, one of the teachers suggested that I join my local athletics club, and after that, I never really looked back since. It just became my passion. I just loved to run. Um, so I found that I was, had a bit of a knack for the hurdles um, and I went down to my first competition, the Welsh Junior Championships in Cardiff and I made the final and yeah, after that really, it just progressed on and on from that until where I am today. Um, but in terms of my journey with um, the Young Ambassador Programme, that's a more recent thing. So um, in 2016, I suffered a really bad uh, season. I had chronic shin splints and I couldn't really do a lot of training or competing. Um, and so I thought instead of having all three free time from not having training sessions six days a week, I wanted to do something useful and constructive. Um, and so I decided to give back to my community and give other kids the opportunity I had um, to see their passion, whatever sport it may be. Um, so, yeah, I just did a little bit of volunteering, helped out my PE teacher in school, and then an opportunity arose to apply to become a Platinum Young Ambassador. So filled out the application, had an interview. I was lucky enough to get onto the steering group, and I've met some terrific people um, through it. So we have our annual conference, and it's just brilliant to meet all different people from across the sports sector. And from that, more doors have opened, so I've done a bit of public speaking at different events with people, and yeah, that's kind of where I'm staying with it. And until you being in a hurdle now, Lauren, yeah. what have kind of been some of your idols? Obviously, being Welsh, yeah. you're probably, oof, I'd have thought Colin Jackson would have been long retired when you started. Yeah. But has seeing some of the clips of him competing been kind of an inspiration for your career? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, my mum is a massive Colin Jackson fan and um, she took me to watch the British Champs and, of course, he commentates for the BBC. And uh, he walked in front of the stand where we were sitting and my mum was beside herself and she was like, Lauren, come and take a picture. So I ended up going over and he was really friendly, chatty. um, And, yeah, of course, watching him compete is just awe-inspiring so yeah he's definitely had an influence and really made me want to pursue the event even more someone you know from Wales from our nation it's just yeah it's something to aspire to really isn't it and obviously I've seen recently in the summer you got your GB vest is that something that you want to progress and obviously look to go to well if we kind of step back a, a bit say well the next one for you is probably the Commonwealth but do you have your eye on competing 
what we'll say in a few in future Olympiads because they seem to be selecting them all in one go at the moment. Yeah, so I think that's every athlete's dream, isn't it? That's the pinnacle, the big one, the Olympics. That's what everyone wants to go to. So, yeah, it's always at the back of my mind. There's, like you said, the Commonwealth is probably my my sort of short-term target. So the first thing, like the first major senior competition I'd like to do would be that or European Championships or something along sort of that level. But, yeah, the pinnacle would be the Olympics. I think every athlete, if you ask anyone, that's, that's the big one. That's what everyone wants to do. So, yeah, the Olympics would be... Would be the goal <laughs> for me. And also, Lauren, now you're in your first year of university. Yeah. What's one of the deciding factors to go to Bath? Obviously, it's background with his with his athletics. Um, yeah, absolutely. So all the universities I applied to, you get to apply to five universities. Each and every one um, I applied to was good for athletics because I knew that's that's what I want to pursue alongside studying. So that was a big factor for me when looking around. And I didn't really how to describe it when I came to Bath. It just sort of clicked. It felt right. I felt at home. So I'm from quite a rural part of Wales and I live on a farm in the middle of nowhere, but um, Bath is too dissimilar. It's still got the green and the countryside. So that's, I think it felt homely for me. It felt right. And the facilities here are fantastic. So absolutely Bath is the place to be for me. Well, I've been fortunate to do a few training camps there. So I know the facilities are top notch. So I, I don't blame you in that regard, but kind of that aside, do you think, going forward from an academic standpoint do you think you maybe put sport on a level heading or put it more in the forefront in your decision I know that's a difficult question but yeah that's 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 every athlete's dilemma I think it's about getting the balance right in my opinion you've got you can't just rely on sport forever you have to do your academics but you can only run once you're only young once you know academics can wait in that respect so it's just about getting the balance right um you know, obviously training does take up a lot of time, but equally, if you want to achieve your academics, you've got to put the work in there. So it's just about time management, really, just getting it all right. But um, for the moment, athletics is probably my larger focus just because of how my summer season has just gone. It's gone really well. So I want to really try and keep keep that level going. But um, the academics is also a really big thing for me. So it's just about getting the balance right. And for probably the younger listeners listening now and that was probably a mouthful for me there um (laughs) what would your advice be for them trying to balance probably be it their GCSEs A levels and possibly a sport some like this high sport and achievement that they want to attain um so yeah I wish someone had actually offered me this advice when I was doing my A level so um I don't cope too well with pressure as funny as that may sound I can't cope with too many things going on at once so I decided to make the decision to um hold my season for seven weeks didn't compete didn't go out on race um to do my A level so I could give that my full attention my full focus because Last year when I did my AS, the year previous when I did my AS levels, I was kind of drawn between two stores. I was trying to give my all to both and I kind of fell short of the two of them. So I didn't achieve athletics or academically what I wanted. Um, So this year I decided, you know what, have a bit of patience, give athletics a break, try your best with your A-levels and then come back out and compete. And it's honestly the best decision I made because um, I boosted my grades by 
won in at least all my subjects and then athletics although I came out and competed later and missed some of the major champs it came right at the end and got my GB best so yeah I think definitely try not to try not to rush around and do everything if you need to step back from something do it and it'll work out in the end. And in your opinion do you think sport has given you a level head and aided you with time management? Oh, absolutely. Sport is a big stress relief. I know it's said time and time again, but it really is. If if I've been sat down working for a couple of hours and I'm getting nowhere with it, I'm getting frustrated and a bit stressed, I'll just go out and have a run. Completely clears your mind. It's just therapeutic. You just don't have to think about anything when you're doing sport. So absolutely, sport for me is a bit of an escape. Really what, would you, what would you say to people that say, now you're a student, you've kind of got that luxury a bit more to, anyway? Um... Yeah, I understand people in work, it's more difficult for them, you know, if you're sat at a desk in an office, you can't just run out of work and hit the gym, can you? But um, there, there are ways around it, like even if in your lunch hour, getting up and going for a walk, leave the computer screen for a bit, there are ways just to just to do a bit of stress relief, just to get active for a bit. Anything that raises your heart rate, I feel, is just calms and settles your nerves and like gives you a clear head. So anything you can do, really, just to stay a bit active. And if we Lauren, if we kind of go back to your time as a YA now, yeah. how did you manage to go from I won't say completely nothing because you were you are heavily involved in in, in athletics anyway. But yeah. how did you jump from kind of going from nothing to becoming a platinum? Isn't there normally you got to go up the stages? Oh yeah, so um, I was a silver young ambassador previous for that for two years, um, but that was just like really small scale going out to my local primary schools, doing a bit with them, um, just lunchtime sessions and things. But when I got um, the opportunity to have more time on my hands, that's when I really threw myself into it and I applied to become gold. So I did that for a year and then at the end of that year, the opportunity came up to join the steering group. So yeah, I've, I've done, I have done the pathway. I didn't start at the bronze level. Um, so there's uh, bronze, silver, gold, and then platinum. Um, so bronze are in the primary schools, silver in the high schools, gold sort of sixth form age, and then platinum sixth form in university. So uh, in terms of age, I progressed up from the high school level. But um, when I had more time on my hands, that's when I really decided to go for it and really try and get all the way to the top of the pathway. And best decision I ever made, really, I think. <laughs> and in terms of that steering group, what are some of the they call celebrities but what are some of the athletes <laughs> that you've been able to to meet as a result of that oh um so last year the young ambassador steering group were given uh, the privilege of being front of house at the bbc Wales sports awards um so you can imagine we had chris coleman coming through the door we're taking his coat and putting it away and people were just so starstruck but we had loads of um welsh heroes really so um we had uh, Jay Jones and we had Christian Malcolm, Chris Coleman, you name it, they were there. Um, so that was a fantastic opportunity. And we also get to speak to um, a lot of the athlete mentors that work with the Youth Sport Trust. So uh, last week we had our annual Gold Conference and we had two guest speakers. We had Liz Johnson, of course, the Paralympic swimmer. She ran one Paralympic gold and Tom Davis, Commonwealth Judo champion. So yeah, brilliant. We get to meet so many sports stars and speak to them. It's it's fantastic. Well, it's just one way for you to maybe tap into their mindset and how they do things or be oh, from a different sporting perspective, you can kind of maybe nick something from other sport. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, no, completely. Like we do make the most of their advice that they're there to help us. They come to the conference to try and inspire and motivate our YAs to do the best they can in their roles. So um, when we, we had a bit of a Q&A session with Liz at the start and uh, she was saying about some of the barriers she's faced. So um, she she um, suffers from cerebral palsy and she was told time and time again, you know, you can't do it, you can't do sport, but, you, you know, your condition won't allow you. But she broke down those barriers and those walls. And I think that's a message we can all take, you know, don't give up on something, you know, keep keep trying and you will get there in the end. And she's a great example of that, you know, Paralympic gold from someone who was told as a child she couldn't do it. So, um, yeah, I think it, we all need to take the messages they've got on offer and make the most of their advice, really. Well, I was fortunate to be a teammate of Liz's for a number of years, so I, I know her all too well and kind of diversity she's faced. I think I think we, we all have faced some, to some extent, with the career. I think any athletes have, if you haven't, maybe you're not doing some things right, but you, you've got to face some hurdles along the way, and it's how you overcome them probably puts you in good stead. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. So everyone has their own personal barriers and their own, you know, own challenges. But um, there are there's definitely staying positive is one of the best things you can do in situations like that. You know, isn't life isn't easy. It's not always going to be a smooth ride. But um, absolutely, just determination and just staying positive is one of the best things you can do in, when you're faced with a bit of adversity. And obviously, Lauren, looking at your season ahead. Yeah. What are some of the targets you're looking to achieve in this well, this year? Um, so for my outdoor season, um, the big target is to go to the World Junior Championships in Finland. Um, I just missed out on going to the European Championships this summer by 0.4 of a second. So it's kind of a bit of a, a thing of mine. I want, to, I want to go this year. It's my time, I feel. So that's what I'm working towards this winter. That's um, sort of probably the biggest thing. But aside from that, I'll do um, the Welsh Championships, um, the Bucks University Championships, hopefully get a podium place there. Um, my coach and me need to sit down and go through my race plan, but we have got I've got a few big targets, just age group championships and things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's coming together. But you, are you not a big fan of the indoor circuit then? Um, I do do it, but of course, as a 400 metre hurdler, you can only hurdle outdoors. So indoors, I just run the 400 metres. And for me, I do I do really enjoy the 400, but it's not quite the same as having the hurdles there. Um, so I, I will be competing indoors. I'll do bucks indoors and... Um, Welsh champs indoors and things like that but I do try and limit the amount of races I do indoors because it can if you race in week in week out it can then be a bit of a detriment when you try to come to the outdoor season you don't want to burn out so um, everything in moderation <laughs> In terms of obviously for people that don't watch athletics Lauren can you explain to them how different Indoor an indoor event can be to an outdoor. Obviously, from a four hundred perspective, I know what the case is. It's totally different. Yeah. But can you can explain to the listeners how that differs? Um, so yeah, outdoors. Obviously, you have the four hundred meter track, and it's one lap, isn't it, for a four hundred meter runner? But indoors, um, the track is very different. It's a two hundred meter track, so uh, the bends are much tighter. And also, um, on the bends, the track is sloped. So in the outside lane, you'll be more on a slant than the inside lane 
um, and you do two laps. After the first sort of 150 meters, you then break um, as the, and then the bell goes. So everyone cuts in from out of lane six, everyone dives into lane one. It's quite, um, quite argy-bargy, a lot of elbows getting involved. It's quite tactical. Um, you can't run it the same as outdoors. Outdoors, you can kind of pace yourself. It doesn't matter if you, you don't start as hard as somebody else, but indoors, it's a, it's a bit of a battle, a race to the front, and you've just got to stick in there and hold it. So it's, it's a very different race indoors to outdoors. And obviously, you bring up that emphasis of there's a steep bend. Yeah. What are some of the stresses as a result of that on your body? Because obviously, out, outdoors, it's a flat track. Yeah. Um, so that's what me and my coach think was how I sustained shin splints because um, at the beginning of 2016, I raced pretty much every weekend through from end of January to early March. Um, and the track is is quite hard because it's Mondo, um, which is a different surface to what a lot of the outdoor tracks are. But because you're running at speed on a slope, your your legs are taking a lot of impact, and I think it can lead to those sorts of injuries like stress fractures, sort of shin splints, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, you have to be careful with it. It's quite it's quite tough on your body. Would you think, in your opinion, is that why some of the top level guys steer clear of it altogether? Um, yeah, so I, I think that's definitely a factor. For I know for some of the sprints guys, they don't like to compete indoors because it's not 100, it's 60. So unless you're flying out of the blocks, unless you've got a great start, you might struggle a little bit. So, you know, Usain Bolt would never ever compete indoors because, you know, he's famously got quite, you know, a slower start compared to some of the others. Whereas our Brits do quite well because they're quite explosive out of the blocks. So it's just horses for courses, really. I think it's your personal preference if you feel indoors benefits you for the outdoor season then do it if not then just extend your winter training a bit I think everyone's got their own kind of game plan with it and from a mindset perspective obviously can that not be quite tedious to be slogging it out all winter and and not competing whereas if you look at the likes of I don't know swimming um I think that would be the only example I could use they are competing in the winter as well as training does that not bring difficulties to your, well, say this, your psyche to be able to just focus solely on 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 training? Whereas I would struggle with that. Um, yeah, so I know myself. I, I would struggle too. I couldn't. I couldn't do a, a winter training block from you know end of September all the way through to March before competing outdoors. It just it seemed like it'd go on forever. So for me, the indoor season is it does break it up a bit. Um, but I don't know some people like to feel like they've had the best preparation possible and for that then that means that you do need to train those six months and do that winter training so I think it's I think it's just how you how you look at your event if you feel like you're not going to be ready for outdoors unless you've done those six months then you know you can sustain that motivation to train for that long but for me I, I get bored quite easily I like things to be changed up I like training to be fun and I like to get out and race so for me yeah the indoor season is a bit of a must do you've got to do a few races just to get a run out see where you are with things gauge how training has been going if you need to make any corrections before outdoors then then's your your chance would you say your your mindset is more ego driven or quite reflective in how your results go are you more focused on seeing how you compare to others or more focused on, like you said, the actual ins and outs of 
how, how have I been able to implement what I'm doing in training into a competitive environment? Um, no, so my mindset is definitely reflective. Um, I think I think you can get into quite a bad habit if you've got a sort of an ego-centered mindset. If you like to compare yourself to others, you can you can start worrying too much about what other people do at the detriment of yourself. Like my coach always says before I go out and step on the track, run your own race. Don't worry what anyone else is doing because you can't control what they're doing. So for me, having a reflective mindset is much more beneficial. I can see how I have performed and what I specifically need to do to get better. Because if I'm comparing myself to others, you don't know, they might have had an injury or illness like two weeks before they've come out and raced, raced badly and then you think you're doing well. Well, it's not a true reflection of actually how you are. You've just got to, I think it's much better to have a reflective mindset in that sense that it concentrates solely on your performance and how you can improve as an athlete. So let me ask you this controversial question now. Then. Yeah. Who do you think is more technical? A 400 meter hurdler or 100, well, 100 meter, 110 or 100 meter hurdler? Oh, um, <laughs> well, I used to do sprint hurdles, so I kind of know the background from both. I would say it's more important, well, not more important, but it's more detrimental if a 100 meter hurdler's technique is not absolutely on the money compared to a 400 meter hurdler's technique because obviously as 400 meter hurdlers we have to hurdle on a non-dominant leg as well as the dominant leg so you're not going to be perfect on one of your legs so in that sense you could argue 100 meter hurdlers have to be more technical but then of course we as 400 meter hurdlers have to you know consider stride pattern we have to count in our heads when we run so we know when to change down what leg to take the hurdle on so i don't know it's a tough one i couldn't give you a, a straight yes or no answer which is more technical i think both you need to be pretty spot on with what you're doing in your technique so i'm sorry i'm gonna have to sit on the fence <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair enough but in terms of, say, from a conditioning standpoint, obviously you've got to have a little bit more um, mental fortitude because you are putting in probably more of a workload. And I think St. Bob brought that up in his um, documentary he did uh, about it. That's why he wouldn't go up to 400 metres because he didn't want to put the work in. No. Um, yeah, I think... I think it's a different kind of mental toughness you have to have with events like the 400 and the 400 meter hurdles um, because you know you're going into it knowing you're going to be hurting at the end you know that that lactic's going to come and you're going to hit that wall and you've just got to push through it so in that sense you've just got to be you've got to be prepared for that you've got to be ready you've got to block it out of your mind and just push through it whereas for some of the sprints events the mental toughness you need is more just to keep your nerves calm, you know, get rid of any apprehension or what if I fall start? What if I get too close to the hurdle? What if I hit a hurdle? It's more, it's a different kind of mental toughness you need. You need both events, things can go wrong in very different ways. So yeah, I think you're right in the sense that the 400 metres does need a bigger work. So you've just got, I think you just need to be a little bit more positive than perhaps what you do for the shorter events. In some well, ways. You bring up a point on there. I think because I'm a, a well, we'll say a retired elite athlete, that shouldn't be going through your head in the first place. Am I going to fall start? Because that's yeah. a massive negative straight away because you're going to underperform. And if you are, per se, like on that limit anyway, close yeah. start, and you are a good starter, you're going to be losing gosh probably a lot 
more than a t- tense because you're thinking, oh, if I'm going to false start, I need to hold back here. It's like, well, don't think about it. Because I, I, was, I wasn't in the group when I was swimming, if we're going to go back to my career, yeah. mine would go up, up, up ebb and flow. It would have a good start one time. Uh, well, I would say shocking, but it, it could it'd be very, very good or really, really poor. And I don't, I don't constitute that down to thinking about it. But then, what would that be for me? There was a two, two um, false start rule when I was competing, so it's you've got a little bit of leeway. Whereas now, I think it's, I think it's good that all the sports have kind of gone it, gone into line. Where you've got no, no chance if you do false start, that's it. So I think it's. That's probably more so in athletics because it was at times getting ridiculous. Like, oh, I'll start here, I'll start here. Oh, we got rid of somebody. And I think people would deliberately do it so that if they weren't very good, it becomes a leveler. Whereas now it's not a form of a tactic if you do full start. You're right, yeah. Um, yeah, like like you said, it shouldn't cross your mind whether you're going to full start or not. But I think if you ask a few athletes, there has been times under pressure when the nerves kick in where you have, it has crossed your mind of what if I full start. I'm not saying... It, it should happen but I think in, for a lot of people it might but as long as when you step out onto the track or before you step onto the block by the side of the pool like as long as it's not there then I think you're you're good to go you just need to be in that moment you just need to be positive and confident that you're not going to and I agree like you said the the one false start rule really sort of I think that it has leveled all sports and people are like you say, much less likely to false start as a tactic. Like to, you know, it's been mentioned that perhaps someone's false started to put off some of your competitors and things. It completely eradicates that about the sport. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good thing, really. But I don't think it would be the case with the longer distance. That would be more in the sprints that that would have been an issue. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's more in the sprints because your start is more crucial in sprints, whereas. In the 400 meters, yes. If you if you start badly, it it's not good to your race, but it's not going to be detrimental as long as you can make up that ground. So, I think it's a problem more for like Usain Bolt's event, the hundred, rather than for the, you know the longer guys. So, yeah. And in terms of now going forward, Lauren, yeah. I'm assuming that you might not qualify for the Gold Coast next year. Yeah. Would I be right in saying? I don't know what the next Commonwealth Games is, but IUI and obviously the one in, will that be? See if I can get my math right, 2022. Yeah, um, yeah. so a lot of um, athletes my age, that's the one that we're all, I my coach has said, like, we're going we're gonna to get there, Lauren. So that's, it's all, it's in the long-term plan, like, to go to the Commonwealth Games. I always love running in the red of Wales. So, um, yeah, it's more special to run for your for your. Well, I say home nation, but it's obviously an honour to pull on United Kingdom vest, but there's something special about putting the Welsh vest on. So, yeah, that is a bit of a goal of mine to go to the Games in 2022, um, as it is for a lot of people my age. I think all up-and-coming athletes are eyeing that one. So, yeah, something for the future. Is it um, is it highlighted on a calendar somewhere? <laughs> um not not so much highlighted on a calendar, but it is always there in the back of my mind when we go to training. I think my coach Wynn might have written it down somewhere in the training diary, <laughs> um, just as a bit bit of an incentive, really. But um, yeah, it's there. Um, and out of interest, where is the next one? 
Um, I'm not too sure. I, I want no, I don't know. I want to say Tokyo. I don't know if I've got that right though. I don't know. I want to say Tokyo. I might have got that wrong. Have to have a check now. I'll go off after after our meeting. I'll have to have a little search. <laughs> Well, that's a difficult one that's ever ever changing. Everybody, that's a difficult. I think the difficulty coming from a Commonwealth country, yeah, you've got to be on the ball, be it on also being in Europe as well. You've got Europeans, Commonwealths, Worlds, and then the Olympics. But then, obviously, being a junior athlete, you've also got that scope to go into the junior fields as well. Yeah, but then I'd say, well. Finland in the most luxurious of places that you No. <laughs> no. Uh no, Finland is probably not not one of the most exciting countries in the world. I've never been there, so I I can't as just perceptions, but um I think it's more the event that will make it special rather than the place. So um yeah, I I don't care where it is, I just want to be on that plane going wherever <laughs> wherever the world chance is. <laughs> and then also Lauren, you, you I don't know if you had the opportunity to compete, but have you done, if I get this right now, the title of it, the Youth Commonwealth Games. Have you have you been on the radar of that at all? Um, so the year that I would have been eligible to go, Wales didn't actually take an athletics team, which was a bit of a disappointment. Um, but they did take one this year, but um, unfortunately I'd gone past the age you had to be to go. Um, so yeah, there's a bit. Of, there's a few riots amongst the people my age in Welsh athletics. Why didn't we get to go? But um, it's just it's funding. It was in the Bahamas this time, so it's very expensive. But it's brilliant that they gave athletes this year a chance to go. That's so, well, yeah. a bit of jealousy in my, with my generation, because of, well, me being a Paralympic athlete, uh, the only opportunities I would have had would have been when I was swimming, and I obviously didn't qualify. No. That's, that's a bit of a doubt. It wasn't my event, so that's I could use that as an argument to say is why I didn't qualify. But if I look on it reflection on reflection and actually tell the listeners, it was actually harder for me to have qualified for the Welsh team for which game Melbourne in two thousand and six than it would have done to make the Paralympic team two years later. So you're thinking that's really yeah. crazy. But it well in my event, you did have the Paralympic champion. So it's, that's an unfortunate having an Australian in the event. So it yeah. is. And then obviously that was the only chance I had to compete. So that's the only one accolade I don't have. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's very frustrating. But I do think funding in sport is better now. Like it's more equally distributed. Like, there is there is a lot more opportunities for people our age than like people from your generation, but um, yeah, it's just one of those things as athletes. Like you you're gonna get knockbacks, and you've just got to kind of deal with them, I suppose, isn't it? All right, but then, like you say, it's when you get to represent and put the vest on. It it might have been at trials. I'd do it. I'm gonna yeah. do the best because I'm, I, I'm. This is my only opportunity to. Well, you could say put one over on the English, the Scots. Yeah, that's one opportunity to do it. It's like, well, I'm the top dog in the, in, in the on the island. Yeah, that's and and you kind of go from there. But obviously, you're you're in your first year. Um, what do you kind of see? And it's probably another difficult question to answer. Yeah. What do you kind of see 
yourself doing with your degree after you've finished sport? Hmm. Um, so I'm studying, ma- uh, studying management with marketing. Um, I wasn't 100% set that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know what, what I really wanted to do when I came to university. But uh, since being here and studying some of the modules, um, I, I kind of know that what I want to do after sport is to is to carry on with the sort of work I've been doing. I really enjoy public speaking. Um, I quite like sort of the people management side of business, networking, conferences. I really enjoy all that side of things. So um, I think I'll probably like to work within the sports sector, but sort of more the business side. So perhaps management or like the marketing and advertising side of some sports organisations, just that kind of thing. But I'm not 100% set on what I want to do as a career. Um, at the moment, I'm just going with the flow, seeing what arises, um, how how athletics goes. So um, everything's a bit up in the air, but I kind of have a, a general idea of what I want to do. Well, it's, I, I, I would give you first-hand knowledge. It's take it each day as it comes. Enjoy yeah. the time you've got at university because <laughs> well, I'm a graduate as well. If you talk to us, you will miss the lifestyle. Yeah. But I don't miss any of the, well, lectures maybe a little bit, but I don't miss any of the assignments or the exams. No. I have a chance to go back and have the, well, the good side of uni, everybody would go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think everyone always tells me, you know, university is some of the best years of your life, and I'm certainly loving it now. Um, I don't see that changing, so I'm going to make the most of everything that comes my way. Well, I think that's, that's what I have to do in life. It's, it's, it's taking the positives from it. It's a, how would I put it, a whole life experience. It teaches you probably obviously things you don't learn at school. Uh, I think it probably prepares you a little bit more for life anyway because school is black and white. Uni, there's a little bit of grey. You, you, you choose to go to lectures. If you don't, that's your choice. So I think more onus is put on the individual, whereas school you probably would to some degree if you didn't. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very different. Um, here is so much more independent than what you experience at school. At school, the teacher spoon feeds you what you need to know. You go away, learn it, regurgitate it in the test, and that's kind of the standard protocol. But here it's much more, you know, if you don't want to go to your lecture, no one's going to make you, but it's at the detriment of your degree. So you've got to have a lot more sort of motivation, sort of... Um, yeah, you need to have that get up and go, get out of bed in the morning and go and go and make the most of the, the lectures on offer. So I think you do have to be more more motivated and um, definitely more organised than what you did at school, but it's a good thing. But then on the flip side of that, Lauren, you, the, you've got more resources at your disposal now. Yeah, true. Um, if you didn't want to go to lectures, if you're a very clever person, I think you probably could get by but I know I couldn't pass any of my exams unless I turned up so um yeah I'd like to work hard um know know that I've done the best I can and if I don't do very well on the test I know it's not because I haven't tried so yeah I think you you are lucky in the sense that you could probably scrape past if you didn't if you didn't go because of the resources on offer you just you know walk into the library you can find the book you need but um yeah I think I think everyone should really make a, a an effort to make the most of what, what the help that's on offer. But then I'd probably go a step further than that. I wouldn't condone that kind of behaviour because it's like you don't know how to put into context 
those resources because you've not been to the lecture. So how the lecturer might be talking might give you an added bonus as to obviously, well, generally, I think from my experience, yes, you've got a reading list at the end of the, the whatever lecture it may be, but he yeah. adds additional value to that, well, not value, but extra uh, material that you can utilise and, and aid you in revising or be able to put in your exam that you won't get if you didn't turn up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think listening to the lecturer speak, you know, they offer so many extra anecdotes and stories from their experience. And, you know, you are listening to some of the best academics in the country in your field. So I think you'd be very stupid not to go to your lectures, really. But, um, yeah, I think I think you do need to make the most of you know, their advice and the help that they're offering you because it's going to be beneficial to your degree in the end. And like we talked about off air, I've used well, those connections again, what is yeah. it now? Seven years removed from leaving. So it's, it's, it is a tool that I think if you do go, you do mm-hmm. build that bond and that, and that closeness. And obviously if you do put in the work, they're going to remember you anyway. Uh, but they will come back and aid you down the line if you, if you need that extra support, be in whatever capacity that may be, reference, or you name it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's one of the things about uh, anything we do with the Young Ambassador Program, anything in university. If you, you know, if you can speak to these people, get out there, ask them for help, because if you show you're keen and you're you're interested, you know, it's going to benefit you in the long run. Because like you say, you never know when you're going to need a reference or um, work experience or anything like that. So, yeah, networking and speaking to the people, getting out there, being confident, approaching people and talking to them is one of the best things you can do. And my last question for you, Lauren, before we wrap up the episode. Yeah. You have to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away. What would that be? Um, okay, so probably the biggest message um, I'd like listeners to take away from this is to be positive. Um, that, in that sense, get out, make the most of every opportunity. And if you do have challenges arise, still keep that positive mindset keep that positive mental attitude because that is the best thing you can do to overcome them to in the face of adversity there's nothing better than positivity really to to get past it and achieve what you want to so once again lauren thanks for coming on the mindset game podcast thank you very much for having me i've really enjoyed it been my pleasure And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Oh, my God.